Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. Welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And guys, hopefully you listened to our last episode. Yeah. And you learned that we have inside our bodies an innate immune system. Mm -hmm. Remember, innate means already all up in there. (laughs) Right? Natural, (laughs) native to something. Yeah. Right? Like how saber-toothed tigers were innate to America. (laughs) We killed them all. And as Nathan brought up many times in that last episode, the innate immune system is a lot like cops. Beat cops. Lots of different kinds of police officers running around doing naughty shit. Right, but then you got a movie like True Lies. Whoa, terrorists, really crazy shit, pathogens those cops have never seen before. We need a more adaptive immune system. We need somebody with the intelligence, the memory, to take down those threats. Right. Not just take them down, but also make sure that they can't come back in a big way later. Right? Yeah. So this episode is about the adaptive immune system. And one of the big, big parts of the adaptive immune system that matters is being able to build up memory so that in the future, if you encounter that pathogen again, you can get rid of it real quick without a really big, long, prolonged illness. This shit's important, guys. This is the basis off of which we're going to build a deeper understanding of all the diseases that we've been talking about. And the dreaded COVID-19 Candiru. (laughs) (laughs) And so what this whole adaptive immune response does is it builds up, like we were saying, memory, but also specificity, right? So in this process, your immune system refines itself. So it understands what particular antigens, what particular signals on whatever pathogen it is, bacteria, viruses, fungi, any of that stuff, what signals are specific to that pathogen. So guys, this episode, we're going to respond we're gonna specify, and then we're gonna remember. <laughs> Jesus. Boom. Episode whatever this number is. Holy shit. <laughs> Adaptive immunity. Aunts, 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 Okay, guys, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Sean, Sean, tell me about the adaptive immunity. What's, like, the basic parameters of it? Yes, Okay. The cells in the adaptive immune system have broadly what I would say are three major states that they exist in, okay? They can either be naive in that they haven't adapted yet, right? Okay. Or they can be effector cells or memory cells. Or manifestors. Have you ever heard any crazy ladies talk to you about that? No. What are you saying? You have like a a mentally more healthy group of acquaintances. I like, like there's this whole, I think, terminology in the web of like, if you make something manifest in your mind, it can manifest in real life. I'm a manifester. I make things happen. Okay. And you're doing this because I said effector and that sounds like manifester? Well, cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whatever, whatever works for you, buddy. So look. 
So those three states, right? And the effector cells versus the memory cells, the main difference is that effector cells usually do something now to try to fight the illness that you have, whereas memory cells are there for later on in case you encounter that pathogen again. Later. Okay, so effector cells were front lines. Memory cells were going to keep all this data. Remember the enemy. What are naive cells doing most of the time, again? Naive cells are ones that are just ready to go, but they haven't actually run into the pathogen yet. Wait, so what's the difference between naive cells and any of the innate immune system we've been talking about in the last episode? Right, so I'm kind of giving them these three categorical ideas here, naive, effector, and memory. But realistically, there's two main actual types of adaptive immune cells, T cells and B cells. The naive form of those don't really do anything until they've run into a pathogen and start learning how to adapt to it. Okay, I okay? see. So most of the rest of the time, they're just chilling out. Technically, there's sort of more complicated ideas there, but essentially the naive cells aren't doing anything yet. They're just ready. Okay. And then once they encounter it, they go either into effector or memory mode. And the effector mode is the one that's going to be making antibodies and shit like that. Or doing the stuff T-cells do. Right. Which, there's different kinds of stuff. Okay, so you had in those categories mentioned T and B-cells, and my mind went blank, my eyeballs rolled back, uh -huh. uh, you had to get my tongue out of my mouth because yep. I was going to choke on it. Yes. So, what the fuck are T and B-cells? Right, so let's start out with B-cells, okay? And B-cells are the dudes that make the antibodies. Okay. They also sometimes present antigen to T-cells, which is something... In the last episode, we talked about antigen-presenting cells. Those are mainly macrophages and dendritic cells. Right. B cells can do that a little bit, too. And just to remind everybody, antibodies, generally speaking, are like the little Y-fucker proteins yep. that got the handsiness. Yes. And they hook on to any naughty person antigen they see. Yes. And when people talk about vaccines and shit, a lot of times... You might read in a newspaper article or something the phrase humoral immunity. Humoral immunity. And what that's talking about is the humors. Oh, right. Yes, the so humans are composed of several humors. Right. And so the specific humor that they are talking about is blood. I mean, oh. that this is actually what they're talking oh. about. Oh, weird. It's based off of that humoral idea. You can have immunity in your blood okay. without any cells around. The reason why is antibodies. So humoral immunity means antibody immunity. Okay, so it's not something metaphysical about the blood humor. No. <laughs> nope, just something physical about the blood humor. Oh. Yes. So those antibodies, actually, you can use that to try to treat people. That's one of the things for COVID-19 right now is something called convalescent sera, which means serum from people who recovered probably has antibodies in it that might save other people's lives. Cool. Anyway. So these Y-shaped dudes that we're talking about are the antibodies. There's a lot of different kinds. These are called isotypes, but they're also just the last letter of it. Okay, guys. Bom, 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 bom. Isotypes. Yeah. Different types of antibodies we care about. Yes. Some of the main categories that are relevant to us, IgM. IgM is the fastest antibody to get made once you're sick. So those IgMs, within the first week, you can start pumping IgMs out. IgMs are also the kind of antibody that natural antibodies are Okay. when we were talking about those in the last episode. But in any case, IgM antibodies, because they're made so quick, are usually not like super specific or bind super strong to antigens. Right, sure. And part of the time they make up for that by being in what are called pentamers or groups of five. Okay. So you don't really find them on their own that often. Usually they're hooked together with five other IgM antibodies. Right. There were five palantirs, weren't there? Jesus, were there? 
I, I'm trying to remember. Are I don't want Palantir is the seeing stones. Yeah, I don't want to fuck up my cred for by me. saying <laughs> the Pentamir is the five Palantirs before some were lost. I didn't want to fuck up my cred. I wanted to double check first. All right. Well, I have no idea. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, maybe, I don't think you guys know this. I'm kind of Lord of Rings scholar now. Maybe we come in. After the fact, and you can re, you know, record that chunk. Cimmerillion, 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 Stephen Colbert, listen to our pod. <laughs> so the idea there is that if they're in a group of five, even if their hands are kind of weak, they can still all collectively grab onto stuff well. Wait, Sean, did you just recommend that I record a separate Lord of the Rings segment and insert it into the pod in the middle right here? In case you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so IGMs are going to grab onto shit. Yes. They don't leave your blood very well since they run around in this big pack and a group of five antibodies is kind of big. It's harder for them to exit out of blood. Okay. But they do activate complement very well. So they play with the complement system that we mentioned previously. Right. And can set off bigger immune responses. Right. Okay. But there's other types. Yes. So IgM's the first one to come along in an immune response, but the second one is IgG. Okay. IgG. And these are the big boy antibodies that people like to talk about the most when it comes to having like a good vaccine response. They're talking about IgG. Those usually show up a couple of weeks after you first get infected. Okay. okay. So it takes a little bit of time, but they are really good and specific at binding. Okay. Right. And they're lone wolves. Usually. Yes. These are Achilles. Okay. So they sleep in the tent for 10 years because they're mad about stupid shit. Yep. But when they come out, whap, there goes Hector. Yes. And to be fair, to, to all of you immunologists out there, I am aware that there are IgG subtypes. IgG1, IgG2A, IgG2B. Nobody cares. Tweet at us. <laughs> Twitter war. <laughs> F*** you. <laughs> no one cares for now anyway. Okay. Next category of antibody is IgE. Okay. We talked about IgE last time because they are one of the main components of allergic response. Gross. Okay. And they are not that common to run into over the course of like fighting off influenza or something like that right but if you got some ringworm or something weird right got some parasites sure or if you breathe in pollen or something yeah you can see ige titers go up in your blood you'll see more and more ige and if they bind onto mast cells and basophils then they can really set those guys off hey what is it about pollen that pisses off your body so much i not everybody's of course but so i think one of the things is that there's a lot of it in the air and we don't notice it necessarily so like right we're not super cautious about breathing in a shitload of pollen. Right. But it gets in there and it gets stuck. And then pollen on its surface has a lot of different antigens. Very interesting. Okay. Or, and so your immune system freaks out. It it's just, like, what it is just all sets this off. Even though it's innocuous, which, which again is part of the definition of an allergic response. Do you have allergies? Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. But mostly to dust mite stuff, dust mite allergens. I'm an example of hybrid vigor. Uh, somehow, I popped out without a whole lot of allergies. What? Yeah. I thought you had a shitload of allergies. No, not at all. I have, like, a slight reaction to dust mites, right? Like, okay. when we're vacuuming. All right. I'm allergic to cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've talked about IgM, IgG, and IgE, but there's one more Ig baby. Another big one, yeah, which is IgA. IgA is kind of a weird one. It's mostly secreted in, like, mucus and intestines and shit. Unlike most of the other dudes, it's not really around for opsonization or complement activation purposes. Opsonization, again, is the one where you bind onto stuff to make it easier for, like, macrophages to eat it. Right. And complement activation means it works together with complement protein. Both of those things are inside your body. Like, macrophages live in your tissues, complements in your bloodstream. Since IgA gets, like, secreted into your intestines... It's kind of outside your body now. It's like hanging out with like, you know, digesting food and stuff. 
the point there is to neutralize things. Right. And so it'll go, it'll grab onto pathogens, bacteria, viruses, or whatever, and keep them from being able to do what they want to do. It'll okay. just, like, physically block them. Yeah, and if you guys are having trouble remembering these or this category, just remember that all this adaptive immunity, it's like the intelligence agencies, right? So the IGs are like the counter-terrorist elite special forces units that go in and take targets out, right? So like IGM is like the, you know, like, I don't know, like the Rangers or something, like those punk fuckers in Black Hawk Down. But then IGG is like Jason Bourne. Right, it's that lone wolf. Assassinations, taking people out, right? <laughs> and then IgE and IgA are like the guys who are in mucus. I don't know, they're gross. Fuck. Okay. But- well, uh, it's just one thing I want to say about antibodies is like the whole reason why these guys are part of the adaptive immune response is because you want them to be really specific to something. Right. Right. And so over the course of an illness, if it's your first time getting it, your B cells are getting trained to build an antibody that's more and more specific to that specific disease that you got. Right. There's a bunch of IEDs on the street. You don't just send your tanks and your soldiers over there. You fucking need your IGAs to go on there and like take out that bomb. (laughs) Well, okay. Like Guy Pearce fucked up in in that movie, Hurt Locker. And one place where the analogy, I think, doesn't quite make as much sense. You son of a bitch. Well, calm down. Okay, look. Antibodies are supposed to interface with your innate immune system. Right. So your adaptive immune system makes them, but antibodies, a lot of times what they're doing is helping your innate immune system do their job. Right. It'll do things like clump bacteria together, keep them from being able to swim away. It'll right. do things like make them more noticeable and easy to eat. Right. And so all of that process is helping out your innate immune system. Which is what was supposed to happen before 9-11. But unfortunately, our adaptive <laughs> immune system as a country was not interfacing well with our innate immune system. And uh, then it happened. Okay. <laughs> and once you watch the report. So here's an interesting sort of idea out there, which is antibodies are supposed to be specific. But how can you make antibodies to things that your body's never seen before? Wait, can I say something just super quick? Yeah. I don't believe in any 9-11 conspiracy theories. That's, okay. 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 I'm not referring to any of those. Okay. Okay. Good. I just, I'm saying a lot of 9-11 stuff. Okay. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that I think, like, like aliens bombed it or something. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. There were failures in the relationship between the FBI and the CIA. Yes, I think there were multiple intelligence failures. Yeah, but it was largely bureaucratic incompetence. And no, not aliens. A, and a failure for the administration. Yes. Not, 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 not like George Soros caused it or something. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up Soros. I'm glad that that's in our transcript now. Sean, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look. So, precursor, the naive B-cells now that we're talking about. They need to be able to make antibodies to stick on their surface. Right. But making an antibody actually seems kind of conceptually hard. How can you have the genes to make an antibody that could potentially target any kind of virus out there? Right. Or any kind of bacteria. There's so many different viruses and bacteria. Right. How can you have that all coded in your genes? This is like Clarice at the beginning of Sounds of the Lambs. Why? What? It why is, why right? is it like her? What does that mean? I don't know. It's like... Because uh, she's naive? Well, yeah. And then she's like a new agent, right? She has to go and kind of interact with the serial killer, right? To be able to track another serial killer, right? God, but... Oh, shit. Well, okay. Okay, fine, fine, fine. That fine, part fine. is fine, but the whole point here is how do you have the information in your genome to be able to encode for potentially an infinite number of targets? Okay. There's, there's an infinite number of antigens out there. But we have a limited genome. We don't have infinite DNA inside of us. How do we do it then? Right. You do it through something called VDJ rearrangement. Okay. And what that means is that we have basically a gene 
that's used to build antibodies. And it has a part of it where you can break it into three chunks and mix and match those chunks. Okay, cool. So the V, the D, and the J portions are all different parts of DNA. Right. And we have a bunch of different Vs, a bunch of different Ds, and a bunch of different Js. Okay, cool. And in fact, in humans, uh, if I remember correctly, it's 44 V options. Okay, cool. 27 D options and 6 J options. Which, if, if, if the permutation is massive. Exactly, right. You get somewhere between 100 billion to 10 trillion different combinations. Right, anything that viral Lego Will Ferrell throws at you, okay, yes. Lego Chris Pratt, yes. can make something to defend. Yes. And basically, out of your entire body, we have something like 40 trillion cells in our body. Which means that we have barely more cells than the options for antibodies that you can make. There's, cool. There's so many options for antibodies that in your entire life, we won't make every single kind of antibody that's possible. And shorter people have even less cells. <laughs> right? Like, don't I have three inches less cells than you? Uh, <laughs> like, I must, right? Uh, not necessarily. So oh, I, really? I, I have a lot of extra cells. No, not... <laughs> you call me fat? Size doesn't just have to be more cells. It can be bigger cells. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And oof, You've got big cells. <laughs> Not they say about guys with big cells. Uh oh. Big feet. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> so, when you're making an antibody, there's these different parts. There's a heavy chain and a light chain. Yes. And so, B cells figure out their heavy chain first. If they don't make the heavy chain correctly, they'll just kill themselves. Like the whole B cell or just the antibody? If the B cell, that B cell, if it messes up making its heavy chain... Chernobyl's gonna melt down. It'll just kill itself. Okay. And that's it. Wow. But if it successfully <laughs> makes a heavy chain... Then they'll copy themselves some, and then they will pick a light chain. This is sort of like how they make the hand portion of the antibody. The hand okay. portion has a heavy Really important light. shit, because this is the grabber. Right. And so if they succeed in making both a heavy and light chain, they'll put that on their surface as an IgM antibody. They'll yeah. be like, hey, I, I did it. I succeeded. And those are immature B cells, because at that point, they still haven't run into anything yet. Now, some combinations of shit... Out of all of those combinations, some combinations of antibody stuff that you make might react to your own proteins. Okay. Because basically, you're just mix and matching willy-nilly. Somewhere in that 10 trillion possible combinations is something that recognizes your own stuff. Okay. Okay? We need to find out and then kill the shit out of those B cells. Okay. Because they're what's called self-reactive. And if you are self-reactive, that's how you can have autoimmune diseases. Is you'll start to have antibodies that attack your own system. Okay, very cool, very dystopic. Right, so it's a really important part of immunity is to be able to get rid of any of those self-reactive, potentially autoimmune ones. But let's say that the B-cell works out. It has that IgM on the surface. This is all before you even encounter an antigen. Okay. This is the naive part. Okay. So you have a bunch of different B-cells... They're all immature, but they produce their own IgM antibody. Right, and then they interact with the antigen, and the ones that are useful, right. we keep making more of, and the other ones we just like toss out, we don't give a fuck about. Right, and not only do they keep making more antibody, they go through a process where they refine the antibody. Cool. To try to make it be better, a better and better match to the antigen. So they're excited, they're starting to divide themselves, and those dividing B cells will start to go through what's called somatic hypermutation. Whoa. Which means that they will mix things up in little ways to try to improve the antibody. You shouldn't have told me that expression. It's going to go in a lot of screenplays now. <laughs> where Somatic hypermutation. Dear God! For affinity maturation. Okay. And that means 
the, the binding affinity, how good it is at binding, improves. See, and I'm going to fuck that up and call it infinity maturation. <laughs> it's going to be something related to black holes. I haven't decided yet. And then the last thing is that they can also do class switching. So up until this point, they're just making the IGM ones. But the IGM ones, they kind of have weak hands. They're not the lone wolf. Right. right. So at this point... Now they can switch it up, be like, okay, now I want to make some IgGs. I want some lone wolf badasses going out. Okay, there. but that's only when the B cell has already kind of done the rest of the earlier process. Right. It needs and to prove itself. And that's why IgMs come out first, and then IgGs come later in the infection. And that process takes weeks then, huh? Yeah, so IgGs, I think at the earliest, are somewhere in sort of like the 7 to 10 day range, very early, but low levels. You really hit your stride by 14. Well, and at that point, there's a lot of diseases it's not even useful for, like, if you survive. You've already lived through the disease. This is preemptive for the next time. Right, and so you'll see your antibody titers go up, and then they'll kind of drop down your blood, but the memory B cells will be there. Cool. And they'll be able to pump out the IgG ones much faster next time. Right. So that's kind of getting us into memory cells. Memory B cells are ones that have already made an antibody that works. And so now they're going into kind of like a dormant mode. They're like, all right, I am a B cell who has been successful in the past. I'm going to chill out now because we've already beat this. Right. Henry Kissinger is going to go teach at Harvard. (laughs) But if you need him, you can call him back up. (laughs) If you need to firebomb some other group of innocent people, right? You can always call Kissinger. (laughs) But yeah, so basically they're just hanging out and chilling. Doing okay. a cushy professorship or lecture circuit job. <laughs> and then if they need to get reactivated, you can call them back up and right. they're back in the game. Rick Perry, stop dancing. We need you. All right, guys, well, let's take a break. And then after that, we're going to talk about the other type of cell, T-cells. The infamous T-cell. <laughs> we want you to know that Pips, everyone's favorite defecation information app, stands with America during the COVID-19 pandemic. And although we may be selling all our subsidiaries' ventilators to Saudi Arabia at a 1,000% markup, we want to help our community. That's why PIP has partnered with local grocery stores and plumbers to win the war against COVID-19. We're using our state-of-the-art anal surveillance software to track down the most acute toilet paper shortages. We alert local plumbers and send them into toilet crisis zones with free PIP's bidets. COVID-19 is a war waged by every American butt. Help your country by washing your hands and your butthole. We at Pips salute and spray your patriotic anus. Guys, we're back. We just finished talking about B cells as part of the adaptive immune system. Now we need to talk about a cell that, as a layman, I've actually heard a lot, the T cell. If you guys remember, there was this thing called the HIV epidemic in the 19... I mean, for a while, actually. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as part of learning about that in school, I always heard about T-cells. It gets at your T-cells. That's the immune system. That's that's the extent to which I understand it. Sean, illuminate. What is the T-cell? What's its function? Right. So, T-cells do not eat stuff. And they do not make antibodies. Okay. Okay. So then you might wonder... Why do they... Yeah, yeah, what's up? What's the point of view? And... If HIV does infect you and kill all of your T-cells, why does that matter? Right. right? And so, like B-cells, they go through a maturation process. So they start out naive, but they build up specificity to something. And instead of constructing antibodies, they construct something called a T-cell receptor. That also sits on their cell surface. Cool. And that is also made to not be self-reactive. Because they go through a similar process of mix and matching stuff, sort of like VDJ recombination for antibodies. Okay. To make this T-cell receptor, there's a bunch of versions. 
all the self-reactive ones are supposed to get killed. Right, okay? right. So through positive and negative selection processes, so that means you make a bunch of T-cells, they all have their own unique TCR. You make sure that all the self-reactive ones you get rid of, all the ones that can actually bind to something useful you keep around. 98% of T-cells are weeded out. And only okay, 2% cool. survive. Cool. Probably a stupid question, but when we say we weed out a T-cell, is it a macrophage comes and eats it or something? No. So what happens is it'll receive a signal. Basically, there are certain cells where their whole job is to show T-cells pieces of proteins that are normal for our body. Okay. So they'll be like, this is an example of something that if you do react to this, I'm going to send you a signal to kill yourself. Right. And then the T-cell will kill itself because it's auto-reactive. It's pretty crazy this stuff evolved this way, huh? Yeah. I'm not making an intelligent design joke or anything. It's just like, that's pretty wacky. Yeah, well, so one thing that I will say, kind of blowing this out a lot, Big is picture. that multicellular life, a lot of it is about the dynamics between cells and cells building up the ability to tell each other that they're not needed anymore. No means no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in the context of cells, die means die. Because like it... That very important part of the construction of our bodies and the functioning of our body is the ability of some cells to tell another cell that it's not needed anymore. I watch too much PBS FaceTime because when you say, I'm going to blow it up, I was expecting like, we are the children of stars. (laughs) (laughs) You know, ever since the Big Bang. (laughs) Within the biological context. Okay, so within T-cells, there are different categories and they actually have very different jobs. For starters, one of the big types of T-cell is cytotoxic t-cells that sounds scary being a cytotoxic t-cell means that they kill cells that's their job okay and that usually means cancer cells or infected cells or otherwise damaged cells i thought t-cells didn't eat stuff doesn't eat them it kills them how does it kill them there's a couple of different ways one of the ways is that when they bind onto the cell they send the cell a signal to kill itself. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, stoic suicide in the human body. (laughs) And a lot of cells will obey that call. Cool. Okay. But some cells will not, for example, cancer cells. Cancer cells, a lot of the times, part of the process of becoming a cancer cell is turning off the machinery that lets you kill yourself. Sure. Because they they do not want that going off. They're rebelling. Right. Right. In some cases, virally infected cells, cells that are now turning into virus factories, the virus will have proteins that block that pathway also. Right. Because they don't want the cells killing themselves before they get to reproduce. Right. So in some of those cases, T cells can also send out proteins that will directly damage the cell membrane of the cell. Sure, sure. If you don't kill yourself, I'll take care of you. Right. And so that is possible. But a lot of it, the first signal that they just do in general is just tell cells like, hey, that's it, buddy. Right. These kinds of cytotoxic T cells have a job that overlaps with NK cells, the natural killer cells we talked about last time. Right. Both are responsible for killing human cells. Yeah. But cytotoxic T cells are more specific in who they kill Mm -hmm. because they have this T-cell receptor, the TCR, that's been matured and adapted. Yeah. And so what that means is, take, for example, a virally infected cell. Cytotoxic T-cells can tell that a cell is virally infected. Okay. Because that virally infected cell, as it's being a factory to make new viruses, occasionally some of the, the workers on the inside will put out little samples of what they're making okay. on the cell surface. And the cytotoxic T-cell can recognize that sample as being from a virus. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then that's the signal. So they'll have somebody on the inside let them know, like, hey, 
we're making this kind of thing. Damn, an informant. Exactly, yeah. And then that's when the T-cell knows it needs to take out that cell. Uh, It's just like Leonardo DiCaprio. What? Or Matt Damon? I didn't watch The Departed that closely. Oh. It was confusing. There were too many stars. (laughs) When Alec Baldwin showed up, I was like, who's in this fucking movie? (laughs) So... So cytotoxic T-cells need to be told who to go after, right? Since they're part of the adaptive immune system, they can set things up and be ready to be specific as a naive form. But Sean, there's nothing in innate immune system that can help tell them. (laughs) Okay, why are you so naughty? This is clearly not true. Well, I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up. I'm your fall guy. I'm your patsy. All right. The antigen-presenting cells that we had talked about last time, dendritic cells and sometimes macrophages and occasionally B cells, all of these can put antigens on their surface. And in this case, in the case of viruses, for example, they'll put that on their surface and then cytotoxic T cells will come up. And if they are a match, right? Because you've already made a whole bunch of different kinds. If they're a match, then they will begin to mature. Right. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll rip off the dendritic face, right? And be like, I'm going to take your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually, they, they do that a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, it's fucked up, dude. Yeah, it's called trogocytosis. Actually, Jesus. Which is a pretty crazy process. Just like trogdolites. It's just like murder the dendritic put on that face. Yeah, the trogo part's supposed to be gnawing. So it's supposed to be like gnawing the face oh off my of God, dendritic cells. Oh my God, it sucks it right <laughs> off the dendritic cell. Yeah. But in any case, so they get activated and they divide a bunch because they know... This particular T cell, this TCR, is against an antigen that is important to fight off this viral response. So they'll divide themselves a bunch. And then they'll go out there, they'll find the cell, and then like we said, they'll tell the cell to kill itself, and they'll dump out some chemicals to do it if the cell doesn't do it itself. Okay, but then there's also helper T cells. Yeah. Who are these helpers? So this other kind of T cell, they do not kill cells. Their whole point is to amplify immune signals. Okay. Okay. So basically, they get their target. They also have TCRs. They're also naive, right? But then something like a dendritic cell comes along. It has a piece of bacteria or something on its surface. They meet up. And if it's a match, that helper T cell will divide a bunch, call other immune cells. It'll be like, hey, we got a whole situation going on. We need a full-blown response. It'll call other immune cells. It'll help B cells get matured. So helper T cells improve antibody responses. I was about to ask, because I remember in our innate conversation, there's plenty of innate uh, immune responses. Right. Why do we need helper T cells too? So in this case, it's an antigen-specific signal amplifier. Okay. It's happening at that stage of immune response where you also want B cells to be getting activated. You want some cytotoxic T cells to come around. So it helps other parts of the adaptive immune system get better. So there's some sort of pathogen or antigen or whatever. And the innate response is like, oh shit, there's something going on. But the T cell response is like fucking tuberculosis type X56 kaju. That guy we got to take out. And then they bring the Jaegers. Right, right. So helper T cells are basically the response that we were lacking pre-9-11, right? Right. The lack of communication between intelligence agencies, helper T cells are supposed to facilitate that. Sean, you're so political. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then there are two other types of T cells, but they're more rare. One of them, regulatory T cells. Okay, cool. Regulatory T cells, unlike the helper T cells and cytotoxic T cells, Regulatory T cells calm down immune responses. Okay, interesting. So they are T cells that in the stage of an infection where realistically the bad guys are all gone, 
they're the ones there being like, all right, maybe we should demilitarize the police. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Those are people we don't listen (laughs) to in America. We do not have them anymore. (laughs) Those guys are out of power. So (laughs) regulatory T-cells are very important for being able to restore normalcy after an infection. Mm, Just like William Harding. Okay. Return to normalcy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sean, stop denigrating history. But the thing is that regulatory T-cells can also be used inappropriately by things like cancer or something. Wow. Because they have so much power in tuning down immune responses, and cancer does not want there to be an active immune response against it, it can use regulatory T-cells to do that. By the way, if you guys are curious about cancer, we actually recorded a two-parter on cancer like back in 2015 or something. <laughs> Go check it out. Well, yeah, it's in the back savages. catalog, but yeah, yeah. If you guys are interested in cancer, Nathan's right. We because I was about to ask, is we're like, why is cancer so much smarter than us? Yes. But I was like, we've already answered all these questions. Right. We do talk about it in that episode. Okay. So, and regulatory <laughs> T cells are very important in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. The last kind of T cell. Yeah. You excited? These guys are weird. They're gamma delta T cells. Yeah. Sean has like some squiggly Basque shit on this notepad. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck T cell is that? It's all Greek to me. So. There are weirder T-cells, these gamma-delta T-cells, that recognize weirder antigens. So antigens are typically pieces of protein. But gamma-delta T-cells can recognize antigens that are lipids or hydrophobic-y kind of antigens, ones that are like like little drug things or pieces of foreign bodies, maybe, or cool. stuff that's not biological. Okay, And they can recognize these antigens sometimes without the help of dendritic cells. So in a certain sense, some of them are barely adaptive. Okay. They're almost like this sort of in-between zone between adaptive and innate. And they exist, but they're pretty rare. And unless you're an immunologist, it's like, whatever, dude. (laughs) Most of the time that we're talking about anything, especially with vaccines and stuff, we're talking about helper T cells. We're talking about cytotoxic T cells. Okay. Well, guys, we've gone through our T-cells now, our B-cells. Let's take a break and let's complicate everything really dramatically by breaking down our own distinction between innate and adaptive immunity. The following is an actual advertisement. Snark Tank is a roundtable discussion about weird and wonderful inventions throughout history. They're functional. They're practical. They're durable. They're breathable, but, like, you could survive the winter in a pair of jorts if you had to. But sometimes it's not. But I, I hope you I hope you are aware that I do have a second mic plugged in, and I am foleying my farts. Oh, good. Good, good, good. During every episode of True Blood, my couch cushions were probably as wet as the Louisiana Bayou. <laughs> <laughs> what, what an attractive way to describe that. I'm Drew. And I'm Britt. Join us every other Wednesday for new episodes. Snark Tank is now available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Guys, we're back to Petri Dish. And remember, things are always more complex than they seem. Sean, you've just spent like fucking 17 hours telling me about different types of immune system responses. Turns out it's all bullshit. Well, it's just when a lot of people learn about the immune system, even if they learn the distinction between innate and adaptive, a lot of times the way they learn it is that the innate immune system is faster, older, and simpler. Whereas the adaptive immune system is slower to kick in, but it generates memory and vaccine, blah, 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 right? And really one of the key aspects of all of this is, first of all, they work really closely together. Right. They're both integral and both have been evolving over time. 
And the second thing is that really recent work has shown that the innate immune system can also learn a little bit too. Sure, the proletariat, if you give them books, they will someday rise up. <laughs> and some of this learning might be encoded in their genome through epigenetics. It's another episode that we did in the past. Listen to epigenetics, guys. Great episode. And so what that means is that these epigenetic changes can make it so innate immune cells will react differently in the future if they encounter pathogens again. So that's a type of learning that in the immunologist sphere is called trained immunity. Okay, cool. Okay? So it's not quite adaptive immunity but it is different than sort of the normal innate immunity that you might hear about. Okay. So Sean, you have like a really Silicon Valley section here called Network and Emergent Properties. Yeah. Um, you know, my humble humanities education, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So when I learned immunology way back in the day. Yeah, that was like 1927, dude. Yes. We Sean learned... learned cured polio. <laughs> <laughs> we learned about the individual cells, kind of like the way that we just talked about them here. Okay, and that they have these different jobs, they go about and they do their jobs. Hell, even I learned that sort of thing. Like, that's like the middle school education, right? Is like, chuck, sure. chuck, chuck. Sure. These are the cells. As you can tell, just listening to this episode, I'm sure everyone at some point got cross-eyed listening to all the different kinds of cells. There's a lot, and it's really complicated, and there's yeah. so many. Right? We're dumbing it down. Yes. There's yes. like a fuck ton of cells. Yes. Within every kind of cell that we mentioned, pretty much, there's subsets of cells. But in any case, that's a really complex system. There's a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah. And one of the things that comes out of having complicated systems where you have a lot of different actors doing yeah. different stuff and interacting with each other is something called emergent properties. Okay. Okay. And what that means is that the whole is greater than a sum of its parts. Right. Famous quote from Barack Obama. That was good. <laughs> that, was a hot, that was a hot Obama take. And I will say network properties and then a little bit of the chaos of networks and emergent properties is what uh, the Jurassic Park shit was all about with what's his face? Frog Sexy. DNA. Uh, Jeffrey Goldblum. Yeah. It was like chaos theory. Why am I here? <laughs> yeah, and he was like, life finds a way. Yeah. And emergent properties are one of the ways that life finds that a way. That whole character, like, literally went to potentially die <laughs> just to say he was right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what a leather jacket idiot. Yes. So, one of these complex interactions is cell-to-cell -cell physical interactions. So a lot of immune cells communicate face-to-face. -face. They'll actually have proteins on their surface that grab each other. No zoom here. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fucking zero social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> and for example, dendritic cells will talk directly to T cells and B cells face to face, direct proteins binding. But that shit's dangerous. It's more like two mantises mating because <laughs> T and B cells, they're very evil lovers. Well, they can get a little, a little gnawy and kind of frisky. Kinda, yeah, they, they, they chew a little bit after the sexy kissy kissy between the cells. Bite your face! <laughs> and in these interactions between the B and T cells and the dendritic cells, you have a lot of proteins, hundreds of proteins, coming together at the cell surface and interacting with each other. Yeah. And it makes something called the immunological synapse, which right. is a huge, complicated mix. It's almost like if the Titanic and then, like, a little yacht went side by side, and then they just, like, fucked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it is kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So you, you do have these cell-cell interactions. But then beyond that, you also have cytokines and chemokines, okay? Cytokines and chemokines are proteins that are secreted by immune cells and they're signaling molecules. Wait, super quick. Yeah. I kind of assumed you wanted to go in depth on this because you also said that some people don't even believe in it. Did you what, did trogocytosis? You... Yeah, because we like kind of had a cursory mention of it earlier, but like without the context. Because yeah. also this part's so controversial. Yeah, okay. So uh, when Nathan and I are talking about this gnawing 
that T cells and B cells can do to dendritic cells. That's a process called trogocytosis. Trogocytosis is a process that is a little controversial because not all cell biologists believe in it. Sean's a lone wolf here. He's crying out <laughs> in the wilderness. He's like Tresius or whatever from Greek tragedies. He's like, please, they're eating the dendritic cells. And all the other cell biologists are like, you fool. So I'm not alone, but I will say that in the process of getting my PhD, I gave a presentation on trogocytosis. Oh, shit. And many of the professors that I presented it to did not believe that it was they, a thing. They literally first. didn't believe you. Yes. That's crazy, dude. And it's a kind of complicated thing to detect. It's not that easy. A lot of times it does not kill the dendritic cell. Holy what shit. What happens is the dendritic cell and the T cell, for example, will interact with each other and they'll have proteins binding on the surface, a lot of them. So they're kind of linked together. It's almost like they're holding hands, really. And then the T cell decides it's done, leaves, and rips the arm off of the fucking dendritic cell. Boom. And then just goes off and incorporates that arm into their body. This is why I don't go on dates with Aziz Ansari. Okay, so now now you have... God damn it. <laughs> so now you have T cells that have part of the dendritic cell incorporated into their cell membrane. Damn. And the dendritic cell, sometimes they die, sometimes they can walk it off. Holy shit. Yeah. This is why you need to support scientists like Sean, who are like against the world, and people are trying to put <laughs> down his truth. Sean, if I was president, I would give you a medal of honor. Oh. The way that you're standing up bravely against the rest of the establishment. Wow, that's nice of you. Okay, and second, I had mentioned that it sounds like immunologists are like different tribes, yeah, right? Yeah. Which tribe are you part of? Are you in the fray or do you stand above it? I mean, realistically, I end up having opinions about stuff. I, I think I have right. built in opinions. A lot of the times it's not enough for me to write about them. But like, for example, I mostly care about functional stuff when it comes to cells. Right. So if cells have exactly the same function, I don't really care where they came from necessarily. Sure. That's very egalitarian of you. Okay, well, we are a nation of immigrants. And there are some scientists who would very much disagree with that idea. Right. They feel like the origin of them and how they get made is an important aspect to how you group cells. And so the, I guess but those I'm, scientists tend to be white supremacists. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, so much trouble. Twitter war. So much trouble. Okay. Okay. Wait, Sean does not agree with that. <laughs> yes, I do not. Out of, the, it just Nathan wasn't does. clear because you kind of implied you did. No, fuck. Oh my God. Okay. Anyway, look. So. Dendritic cells, this kind of thing. There's a lot of talking directly, but there's also more long-distance talking, like through Zoom or WhatsApp. Oh, shit. How do, how do cells Zoom, Sean? <laughs> They'll secrete proteins <clears throat> called cytokines and chemokines. And these are little protein signals that will kind of diffuse away from the site where they were secreted. Okay. They'll kind of float away. And there'll be signals to other cells. Okay. And there's a lot of different cytokines. There's a lot of different chemokines. Basically, chemokines are proteins and molecules that are used as sort of like a gingerbread trail. So it will be kind of a signal to incoming immune cells. And as they get closer to the spot where they're supposed to go, there's more and more chemokines, right? And so they know they're going in the right direction, basically. It's almost like Marco Polo, really. <laughs> the game Marco Polo. No, I know, I, know, I know what you meant. Yeah, so when you hear it louder, that you know you're going in the right direction. Right. Do you think Marco Polo was a schizophrenic with like retrograde amnesia? And he's like, Marco! <laughs> and he's like, oh! He looks down at his chest and Polo's written on it and he's like, Polo! Is, is that what happens in schizophrenia? Uh, <laughs> I'm not the scientist, Sean. All right. Well, we'll do an episode on that later so I can figure out what the fuck that's all about. Okay. And then cytokines are more general signaling molecules that can say all kinds of things like we're fighting viruses today or everybody calm down, the show's over. Right. Or, or today it's bacteria or whatever. Yeah. It's the laugh track. 
of the sitcom that is your body. It's a narration, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, yeah, it's it's uh it's uh Ron Howard in yes, Arrested Development. Yes, yes. And these kinds of signals go out, and because there's lots of different cells that can be secreting them, there's a lot of mix of different signals. It can get very complicated very quickly. Okay. Okay. But when you have these different kinds of interactions, both face to face and long distance, right? The thing is that there's internal and external networks of communication going on. What does that mean? Right. So it's maybe easier to think about external signals or something like that. Cells are sitting there. They'll hear chemokines or cytokines. Okay. Right? External information. Somebody shouting like, help, right. fire, fire. That or whatever, makes sense. Right? Yeah. Or they're with their buddy, a dendritic cell, and they're talking face to face. Right. That's all external stuff. Okay. But with our cells, there's all this internal signaling on how to interpret signals. What's that going to make you do? Is that going to make you move? Is that going to make you divide your cell? Are you going to make more of the stuff you need to kill shit? Okay. Right? So that's all internal signaling networks. And that is a really complicated tangle web of a lot of different proteins hitting each other and reacting and right. then going, going to your DNA, making new proteins. All of this shit is a complex signaling network. Right. We've talked largely about stuff between cells, but... If we wanted to do like a like a 24-hour marathon episode, we would talk right. about all the shit that happens inside a cell. Right. I just want to have all of that serve as an example of how complicated this is. Right? right. This is one of the reasons why immune systems do not react exactly the way that we want them to or think they should or how they can be unpredictable or different from person to person is that they're not just our interaction with the external world, but also all this internal interaction. I can't believe you roped me into this episode. What? <laughs> I've just finally realized that this whole two-parter is basically a way for you to prove that you're smarter than our listenership. No. <laughs> you're basically saying, it's really complicated. I know what it is. No. No, 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 no. Oh, you son of a bitch. Now everyone hates me. You want that? <laughs> no. The point of all this is, is it's an excuse for why I don't know how it works. <laughs> okay, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. We are humbled before the complexity of these systems. Right, and that complexity and emergent... <laughs> well, I'm humbled in front of anything. <laughs> well, well, it's just, those emergent properties are sometimes the reason why you'll just be sitting around and all of a sudden you'll have a fucking autoimmune disorder. Right. Right? It's because there's complex shit that comes out of all of this weird meandering signaling outside and inside cells. And sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. I mean, I think that kind of leads into what we'll eventually discuss as well is like my big question is if all this stuff is figured out or sorted, right? Or, or I mean, clearly it's not. Right. But if all this stuff, we know everybody has B and T cells, why the fuck do some people die from COVID-19, even if they're 19? And most people are just fine. Why are some people asymptomatic? Why do diseases react so differently with people's immune systems? Yeah, that's awesome. That's all awesome stuff, and luckily, one of our upcoming episodes, The Science of Sick, is going to be really looking in-depth when you get a viral infection, what is the cascade of events that happens inside your body that makes the symptoms that we all recognize from something like a cold or a flu, okay? And so that, I think, is going to be really nice for kind of elucidating how you can have variety there. So guys, don't be ignorant savages. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our sick people shit, so you'll know... <laughs> Why no one has lupus on house. I don't know. So, so, you, so you'll know what's going on with these diseases. Yes. Thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Brian Allen, for art. And uh, Natalie Allen for bolognese pasta. Yes, probably. And we should say, you know, if you want, you can sign up for our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. As low as a dollar a month. We have a Twitter. 
that you can yell at me about the things Nathan says. I want immunology wars. <laughs> at Dish Podcast. Email address petridishpod at gmail.com. Instagram at petridishpodcast. And we will see you guys next time.